When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in MD Nation to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, part of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're back here with Monday's show. We're always talking about the Sunday afternoon recap on Monday, and of course, going through everything that went crazy on week nine, because there's always something crazy, always something unexpected all throughout the week, and of course we have some injury updates we're going to talk about and what we have to do with some of these players moving forward. That's what this show is all about, the, the, the recap of Sunday afternoon. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you tune in for that because we'll be back with the primetime recap of Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and of course the all-important waiver wire report as we inch closer and closer and closer to your fantasy playoffs can you taste it it's right around the corner md nation and we want to make sure that we are well underway to becoming champions and it all starts right here it all starts honestly with the panthers and chiefs game the chiefs holding on to this game by a thread who would have thought the Carolina Panthers would come out and play the way they did, especially given how the Chiefs' defense has played as of late? This game turned into a shootout, 33-31. to The good news about it is that Patrick Mahomes put in the performance that you would want out of a Patrick Mahomes. 372 yards, four touchdowns. Of course, he was great in every aspect of the game. Didn't actually add on anything in the rushing game. 
And then his receivers, we didn't wind up having Sammy Watkins. We thought there was a chance that we could. I think there's a better chance that he'll come back week 11 because they have the bye next week. So there's a good chance we'll see him then. He'll he'll be in our rankings as probably a high-end wide receiver three upon his return. And, of course, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill were tremendous in this game. I mean, the targets for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, 18 targets for Tyreek Hill and 12 targets for Travis Kelsey. Man, they're coming on strong at the right time in your fantasy lineups. Let me tell you, nine catches, 113 yards, and two touchdowns for Tyreek Hill in this game, having one of his biggest games of the year. While Travis Kelsey, he didn't find the end zone, but he still had 10 receptions for 159 yards. And if you have Travis Kelsey right now, you have such an advantage at the tight end position. There's nobody else in the league who has a better advantage advantage at any particular position in your fantasy football leagues than you Travis Kelsey owners out there. That is the good news there. Like I said, unfortunately, you have this team go on by next week. Hopefully you have contingencies already made. Hopefully you plan for this ahead of time and you'll be good to go and last without one more week. But once Travis Kelsey comes back, there's nobody even sniffing him at the number one tight end position. And Tyreek Hill, like we said, is getting closer and closer to having those bigger dominant performances that we've grown seeing. But he's been very, very consistent and they get Sammy Watkins back soon, which only adds to Patrick Mahomes, of course. Now, Nothing fantasy-wise we have to really take out of that other than these players are great. These are performances that we can expect. The narrative that we have to dive into, the fantasy analysis that we have to dive into when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs is the running game. Ever since they signed Le'Veon Bell, the Chiefs have decidedly they just want to use the running back position as a whole less. I mean, everyone's concern was, okay, how many touches was Le'Veon Bell really going to take from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? And when you actually look at the opportunities again in this game, it was pretty close to 50%. I mean, CEH came out a little bit ahead, had one extra carry, two extra receptions, but they're not even utilizing the running back position at all the past few weeks. We'll see if that changes throughout the bye. We know this is a high-scoring offense, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we're hitting the point now where we have to question, is he an RB2? Is he just simply an RB3? And that's it. Because unless you're going to start using the running back position, this is maddening. Five carries for 14 yards. Three catches for 20 yards. Does get you the receiving touchdown. So he salvages your fantasy day on five targets. But barely salvages your fantasy day. And on top of it, Le'Veon Bell had four carries to his five. Now, Bell only had one target, one catch, and that went for negative five yards in this game. So I guess if you're, if you're a CEH owner, you're looking at the positive side of like, okay, at least Clyde Edwards-Hiller wasn't a complete 50-50 split. But if they're not going to make a concerted effort to at least involve the running backs in the game plan, then it doesn't matter. Any touches Le'Veon Bell takes knocks your value way down where all of a sudden CEH is operating on his bare minimum floor. Now, this is a Chiefs offense. They are going to get the running backs involved again. At some point, you have to be able to establish a running game. You can't always just be one-dimensional. Part of it was the game script in this one because the Panthers were going toe-to-toe with them the entire way, and it felt like Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense just had to be aggressive throughout this entire thing. But this is something to watch. We're heading into the bye week. What do you do? What do you expect out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I've talked about this several times already on this show. Your trade deadlines for most of your leagues out there, make sure you check your league in particular, but your trade deadlines for most of your leagues out there is week 12. Are you going to try to sell Clyde Edwards-Layer in the bye week to someone who's still willing to give you 
a low-end RB2 who's not necessarily sharing the work. For instance, now he got hurt this week, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. David Montgomery, we'll have to see what his injury is going to be throughout the week. Make sure you follow us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date. But let's say, for instance, that David Montgomery is not going to miss any time. I think you seriously have to ask yourself, who would you rather have moving forward? David Montgomery, who you know has a guaranteed workload every single week, as long as he's healthy, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's barely been involved in the offense and essentially splitting carries with Le'Veon Bell since he's joined the team. Is he, that's the situation that we find ourselves in, where that is actually an argument. Now I would still lean towards Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because of the offense, and because I have to figure, logically speaking, that again, they get the running backs back involved here coming out of the bye weeks at, to some degree. But that you have to ask yourself that. Do you go with the floor of a David Montgomery? Because right now, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire isn't even somebody you can trust to get you double-digit points. Like I said, in this game, only if you were in full point, full point or half point PPR leagues did you even get you double digits. If you were sitting in standard leagues, you got your single digits again. I mean, it's become brutal. And they've had good... The Jets last week, the Carolina Panthers this week. This was supposed to be the last two games. Big, big pluses for the running backs in particular. It, it really begs the question, and you know what? If you come back to me as part of MD Nation, you say, you know what? You decided to trade CEH for David Montgomery. I'm not going to look at you sideways. And that's just one example. But it's a, it's a perfect example to illustrate my point here on where we might be on Clyde Edwards-Alaire moving forward. We'll see if they get some things correct to come out, coming out of the bye. I have to think Andy Reid's going to look at this and say, you know what? We have to get the running game more involved here. Can't put so much pressure on Patrick Mahomes all the time the way they had to pass... Well, the way they did in this game, the Jets game was well in hand no matter what they wanted to do. They just decided they wanted to get the offensive passing game going. So I think, I mean, better days are ahead, but how be- How much better? And then when they do decide to involve the running backs, how much is Le'Veon Bell going to be involved? Now, as far as Le'Veon Bell is concerned, I can't quite send him down the flush town. I want to. I really do. And if you need to make a roster spot this week with him being on by, especially on top of it, I have absolutely zero issue with you guys just dropping Le'Veon Bell outright on your on your lineups. But the only reason why I'm not going to decidedly send him down to Flushtown is because of the fact that he has been getting 50% of the work and the idea that they'll get the running backs back involved into these offense. And if that stays... The pace, that stays the percentage of the share load between Bell and Edwards. Well, then there's going to be good games out there for Le'Veon Bell, not to mention he probably would be one of the highest handcuffed values, at least one of the highest handcuffed values to own out there on top of it. So that's the only reason why I'm not going to decidedly send him down to Flushtown, but if you need to make a roster space, you certainly can drop him. He's not a a must-keep, depending on what your roster construction is. So let's move into Carolina on that side of the ball. Welcome back. Christian McCaffrey finds the end zone. 18 carries, 69 yards, a touchdown. 10 receptions for 82 yards and a touchdown. Look at that. First game back, he goes 150 yards from scrimmage. Gets you 10 receptions on 10 targets, double-digit targets, and two touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, hello. We have missed you. Welcome back to RB1 status from here on out. Now, here's the thing about the Carolina Panthers. They do still have their bye week coming up, and unfortunately, because of the way the schedule was changed this year, their bye week is week 13, which is a pivotal week for people trying to make the playoffs. 
But you can't walk away. Now that you finally have Christian McCaffrey back, he shows you what he can do. He shows you how he's going to be a part of this offense. And while Mike Davis, yes, had five receptions and six targets in this game, it was mostly due to the heavy volume in the passing game that became this offensive attack because they were trying to stay toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs this whole way. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater threw the ball 49 times in this game. That is his high for the season. That is not something that they generally will be doing with Teddy Bridgewater, having him throw the ball that much. But here's what I say. I will say about Teddy Bridgewater and his fantasy status. Having a safety blanket like Christian McCaffrey to consistently check the ball down to and consistently keep the chains moving really bodes well for a Teddy Bridgewater and at least is reestablishing a fantasy floor for him that he hasn't always necessarily had over the past few weeks, where he's going to be consistently a streaming option for us depending upon the matchup. Great game in this one. 300 yards, two touchdowns, even ran a touchdown in. I mean, he was absolutely tremendous. The offense for Carolina was absolutely impressive to me all the way around. Now, here's, here's the weird one for you. Curtis Samuel, all of a sudden, nine catches, 105 yards, a touchdown on nine targets, This is the first big game out of Curtis Samuel, and he's somebody they've been mixing into the offense. They've been getting him involved in the running game, getting involved in different aspects. This is the first time we really saw Teddy Bridgewater go after Curtis Samuel, and it makes sense given the matchup. One, this wound up being a shootout game, which always is potential when you're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, but two, the best way to attack the Chiefs' secondary is by attacking the the slot corner with the slot wide receiver. So Samuel had a nice matchup in this game. The disappointment goes back to being, again, DJ Moore. Two catches, 18 yards, three targets. Now, this is something I hadn't thought about before with DJ Moore heading into this lineup. Think back to earlier on in the season when DJ Moore wasn't getting involved. Now, he was... To make my point here, first, I'll first make the point, and then I'll, I'll go back with a little caveat that I have sprinkled in there, too. Christian McCaffrey, when he was playing... When he's gobbling up targets, and Robbie Anderson remains the number one target in this game and remained the number one target early on in the season, DJ Moore just got left out. There just wasn't enough to go around. And even in a game like this where there was 49 pass attempts, DJ Moore only had three targets in this game. Now, there were games that followed after McCaffrey was injured that DJ Moore was still having trouble getting involved as well. But this just goes to illustrate my point. If McCaffrey's going to be back on this, I'm getting 8 to 10 targets in a game. And I believe he will more times than not because, well, he's Christian McCaffrey. DJ Moore, the, the little value that he had started to establish for himself that I told you guys to sell high on, and hopefully you did, may have really just went out the window. Because now, all of a sudden, getting five targets might be a chore for DJ Moore. And he's just falling further and further down the bust hole that he's going to probably wind up being at the end of the season. So DJ Moore is somebody that you're going to have to play only in very favorable matchups when he's playing against a team that has a second corner on the perimeter that's not very good. And it has to be in a game in which you can expect it to be a shootout to some degree. Those, those things are going to have to match up. Otherwise, I don't know how you're going to play DJ Moore. To me, he's a low-end wide receiver three at best at the moment, maybe even more of a high-end wide receiver four, meaning he doesn't need to automatically be in your lineups. There's just not going to be enough to go around. Like I said, Robbie Anderson, again, was the high target man on the day, 13 targets in this game, nine catches, 63 yards. It's been a little while since Robbie Anderson's had a huge performance, but he consistently is the number one wide receiver, consistently. 
Now, Curtis Daniel, he's going to be a popular pickup. I'm not going crazy. We'll, he'll probably be on the waiver wire report. We'll talk about him then. I'm not going to go crazy going after Curtis Samuel because this is the first game we've really seen him have a big game. And he, more times not, has also been an odd man left out in this offense as well. There's still a low floor when it comes with him. So I'm not going to go crazy going after Curtis Samuel. But this was crazy to see. It was good to see Christian McCaffrey back. Robbie Anderson maintains the number one guy. And DJ Moore... It's going to be very, very hit or miss. It's going to be very matchup and game script dependent on DJ Moore being able to return fantasy value for you, I believe, on a week-to-week basis. So let's move into Seattle. Let's move into the Buffalo Bills. On the scoreboard, this wound up being a very high-scoring game. On the scoreboard, this game wound up being a shootout game. But in reality, the Bills were in control of this game the entire time. Seattle tried to make it interesting a little bit here and there in the second half, but their defense just could not stop anything. Josh Allen gets back to his previous four-week, his first four-week performance that we had all seen, where all of a sudden Josh Allen looked like he had turned a corner. Now, past few weeks, past few weeks, he's looked like the Josh Allen of old. Well, like I said, coming into this game, Allen was my number four quarterback on the week. He might finish as number one. We'll have to see exactly what happens. But Seattle cures a lot of ills. That secondary cures a lot of ills. And I was a little surprised being that they got Jamal Adams back. I thought that might factor in for something, and it really didn't. 31 of 38, 415 yards, three touchdowns. And then, of course, because he's Josh Allen, tacked on another rushing touchdown. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And look, look, we all we talked about heading into this game for the rest of the season. You're still going to play Josh Allen as a top six, top five quarterback the rest of the way. But games like this, like he had earlier on in the year, I think are going to be a little bit more matchup dependent. We have to go back. We're going to have to watch this game again. We're going to have to watch what happens again next week and see if this is something to continue or if it was just because it was Seattle's defense that he was able to get back to form. Will he slip back into his bad habits? With his, you know, ill awareness at times, inconsistent fundamentals, will that become a thing again for Josh Allen? But for this game, you expected high things out of him, and he provided. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Devon Diggs, he's not going to wind up being the number one receiver on the week. We had him ranked as number one receiver on the week. It doesn't change the fact he still had a great game. 12 targets, 9 catches, 118 yards. I mean, really the only thing he didn't do is score a touchdown in this game, and you knew he was going to have a great game. John Brown, who was one of my sleeper wide receivers heading into this week, he had a very good game. Eight catches, 99 yards on 11 targets. That we expected to have happen as well. And I said to you before, if John Brown has a big game, now I was hoping for a bigger game out of him when I said this, but I talked about him possibly being a sell-high candidate after this week. As he, quote-unquote, the narrative will be reestablishing himself as the wide receiver two in a pass-first, very good offense. That's going to be the narrative moving into the week. So if you can cash out on that, go for it. Go for it. But I don't know if A catches for 99 yards after he's had several bad weeks leading up to this point will be enough to really sell him high on anything. But he is somebody that, given the right matchup, I think you can plug and play him as a wide receiver three. So he does become rosterable and you continue to keep him on your rosters moving forward as far as everybody else goes Gabriel Davis he had a nice game in this one four catches 70 yards a touchdown five targets though again when it comes to Gabriel Davis if John Brown's on the field 
there's just not necessarily a guaranteed target share that's going to head his way. But what I will say is that when John Brown is on the field, you can't play Cole Beasley. Three catches, 39 yards on three targets in this game. Stephon Diggs is going to get his double-digit targets. I think that's been established pretty much every single week at this point. John Brown, when he's healthy, more times not, will be the second wide receiver. That kind of leaves there to be few targets left over for Cole Beasley, the running back position, things of that nature. I'm not going to play a third Bills wide receiver if John Brown is healthy. Plain and simple. Now, as far as the running back situation, which a lot of people want to talk about, I guess from a carry standpoint, Zach Moss took the lead in this one. Nine carries, only 18 yards. He did fall into the end zone, so if you played him, he gave you he salvaged your fantasy day. He didn't goose you or anything like that. He had a decent fantasy day. He also had two catches for 30 yards. Devin Singletary still played a decent amount in this game. Touch-wise, though, definitely came in under. Had five opportunities to Zach Moss's 11 at the end of the day. Three catches, 33 yards on three targets. Only two carries in this game. So even though the, the production from the running back as a unit wasn't very good, Zach Moss wasn't very good, if you want to look at it you go from last week where they had the same amount of touches, but Zach Moss scored two touchdowns from a fantasy standpoint, he had overtaken Devin Singletary. And now this week you were looking for, is Zach Moss going to now overtake him in the actual touches department? That did happen in this week, although it wasn't very good. So... Moss is still somebody who's going to be an RB3 in my mind. Devin Stingletary is not somebody who I'm going to be plugging in my lineups. Probably won't be in my top 36 next week. But I don't think we're ready to send him down to Flushtown, necessarily. Because I still need to see another game. I need to see another game where it wasn't so heavily skewed towards Josh Allen and the passing game where it wasn't so heavily skewed towards a defense that can't stop anything when you throw the football. I need to see another game where Zach Moss is definitely the lead carrier, and then we'll send David Singletary down the flush town. Because the thing about Zach Moss, you can always remember, is that he does have an injury history. And if, if Devin Singletary has all the work, he can give you at least RB3 performances. Now, you got bye weeks coming up. Week 10 is another heavy bye week. Kind of like the Le'Veon Bell situation, if you need to make a roster move, I'm definitely not going to look at you sideways if you decide you want to drop Singletary. I'm just not going to, again, decidedly send him down to Fleshtown quite just yet, given some of the circumstances around this backfield. So let's move into Seattle. You have Russell Wilson. At the end of the day, for your fantasy football purposes, was great. 390 yards, two passing touchdowns, tacked on a rushing touchdown, but he was a turnover machine, and he's been a turnover machine now for the past few weeks, which is really interesting because that's not something Russell Wilson has normally done throughout his career. The one thing about him is that he has very, very few turnovers. Now, all of a sudden, last two weeks, Arizona Cardinals, Buffalo Bills were able to get pressure on him, were able to keep the pressure on, and as a result of that, He's been getting flustered. He's been throwing interceptions. He's had a few fumbles. Something to kind of interesting to watch out for. But the big thing is, from your fantasy football standpoint, this defense, with or without Jamal Adams, just proved that they can't stop anything. And the volume will just continue to be there. And the points will just continue to be there. And DK Metcalf will continue to be there. Seven catches, 108 yards on a touchdown on nine targets in this game. Now, Wilson spread the ball out quite a bit. 
The disappointment, of course, is Tyler Lockett. Four catches, 40 yards. And frankly, outside of the 200-yard, three-touchdown performance, outside of that, it, it, it's been awful. Outside of that, it's been terrible for Tyler Lockett. He hasn't really produced. Now, he still comes in. Right now, he's still a top 10 receiver in scoring for fantasy football purposes because he's had quite a few big games. But is he now becoming boom or bust? He might be. He might be. Now, you still have to continue to play him because, again, this defense will maintain that this offense has to be high volume in the passing game. And Lockett is a very good wide receiver. Is he the lead dog? Maybe not anymore. But he still had seven targets in this game. So it was disappointing with the way this game script went, with how many points flew around. They only had four catches for 40 yards. And like I said, again, outside the 200-yard, three-touchdown performance, he's been kind of disappointing more consistently than not. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. But you're going to continue to plug and play Tyler Lockett into your lineups, just given this the nature of this offense, the way Russell Wilson has been playing, and the way this defense has been playing. You're not going to move off of that. Better days will be ahead. You hope that, especially as we get into playoff time, it'll be a little bit more consistent between the two, Metcalf and Lockett. But I'm not going to worry about it at the end of the day. I'm not going to panic at the end of the day. I'm not going to suddenly look to bench Tyler Lockett anytime soon. Because these are still the two lead receivers. I know David Moore had a nice stat line, four catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. We know he's the odd man out more times than not. I know Jacob Hollister also had seven targets in this game. Name me the last time a tight end was really that involved in the Seattle offense on a consistent basis. This is Metcalf. It's Tyler Lockett. It's Russell Wilson. I'm going to continue to play all three of those guys in my lineup every single week. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, but at Lockett, I feel like we do have to make a little bit of that point, just given the recent struggles in your fantasy lives with him and how many disappointment performances there's been over the past, really, month now. Now, again, we didn't have Chris Carson. We didn't have Carlos Hyde. They brought in Alex Collins, making his return to the NFL. He only had two carries in this game. If you play DJ Dallas, he did save your day with a touchdown. Seven carries, 31 yards. They were, they were never in a position to get the running game moving in this game. I mean, they were just never, they were never in that position. They were down 24 to 10 heading in the half. They were down 14 nothing heading into the second quarter. I, they had to throw the ball a lot to even kind of make it interesting in the second half. But Chris Carson each week could be a little bit closer and a little bit closer to being able to return. 
So I think DJ Dallas's days are numbered, but as long as there remains the possibility of Carson and Hyde being out, DJ Dallas needs to continue to be rostered and needs to continue to be looked at as an RB3 as a flex play. Because, again, this is the second week in a row where he scored. Just being the lead back, he'll get those opportunities. Now, I will note that Travis Homer only had one less carry than him and did have one extra reception. Actually had a big 50-yarder in this game. So Travis Homer was definitely a little bit healthier than we saw last week, and he was getting work with DJ Dallas in there. So that definitely lowers the ceiling of DJ Dallas if Carson and Hyde were to miss another week again next week. So something to kind of keep in mind there, but still Dallas at the end of the day, still Dallas will be an RB3 if those guys continue to miss. So let's move into a game that was ugly to watch. Ugly to watch. Ravens and the Colts. Lots of disappointments all over the place, as you would come to suspect. I mean, not disappointment in the sense of Philip Rivers and the Colts pass catchers, because I don't think at this point anybody wants to play Philip Rivers or the Colts pass catchers, because there's just there's no ceiling to any of these players right now. No T.Y. Hilton in this game. I'll make note that Michael Pittman had four catches for 56 yards and seven targets. He led the way. Sure, who cares? You're not going to play in these Colts pass catchers. You're not. You're not going to play Phillip Rivers. Let's talk about what does matter from a fantasy football standpoint for the Colts. Uh, red alert, red alert, Jonathan Taylor. Now, he falls into the end zone in this game. So if you played him, he did that at least, I guess. But my goodness, Jordan Wilkins, 11 carries to Jonathan Taylor's 6. And Wilkins wasn't good in this game. 3.5 yards a carry. Taylor was actually more efficient. But the second game in a row where Wilkins was the lead ball carrier, that's a problem if you're a Jonathan Taylor owner. Two weeks in a row now. And Taylor practiced in full on Thursday and Friday. So there wasn't an injury issue here. Wilkins was the lead. Now, I'm not saying that Wilkins is definitively going to be the lead ball carrier from here on out. But what I will say is that it's going to get awful, awfully scary. Awfully scary. With Jonathan Taylor. I, to the point of, I think, kind of like a CEH, we kind of have to ask ourselves, are you really anything more than an RB3? Are you anything more than a flex play? And are you matchup-based? Do I need to have a plus matchup, a game in which... I got a team that's poor against the rushing attack in order to even play you or a game in which I think the Colts will be able to control from a game script situation to at least ensure that I get double-digit carries out of you because you might not even be the lead back anymore, arguably speaking now. I mean, if you could sell Taylor for anything with a pulse that's still an RB2 consideration with the volume... I don't want, I won't use the David Montgomery example like I did for CH, but if you can sell him for a legitimate RB2 who at least has volume, I'll put this one out there. David Johnson. That's another playing example. He had the concussion, again, another game that we are going to talk about in today's show. He had the concussion though. So his disappointment there. Hasn't really had the big ceiling this year. Could you maybe get the David Johnson owner in your league to actually bite 
with the idea of maybe Taylor still has more upside as you get closer to the playoffs. I actually tend to lean towards that deal doesn't even get done. I don't even think I would be giving up David Johnson for Jonathan Taylor at this point, but just an idea of guys that try to shop him around just to see if somebody in your league will bite on the name value or not. Because that's pretty much what you just want guys at this point who will give you a consistent workload because you can't even find that with Taylor or a CEH anymore. So while he fell into the end zone, my radar went through the roof coming out of this game with Jonathan Taylor. Through the roof. So now let's flip over to the Ravens side of the ball. Lamar Jackson, again, salvages your day. Doesn't have a great fantasy day once again, but salvages your fantasy day because of his rushing totals, 58 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And we didn't have Lamar Jackson in our top 10. We talked about that. We didn't have him in our top 12. We have him at quarterback 13 this week. Now, from a completion standpoint, he was 19 of 23, which isn't bad, but only 170 yards, no passing touchdowns. I mean, look, I know this wasn't an easy matchup. You're on the road against the Indianapolis Colts, who do have a very good defense. But if this passing attack is never going to take off, then you're pretty much back to where you were year one with Lamar Jackson, where he didn't have a ceiling. You were playing him, remember his rookie year, when he had that stretch after he replaced Joe Flacco, you were playing him because you knew he had a floor with his legs. But that's it. That's all. You're, you're, not, gonna get a, you're not getting a ceiling on Lamar Jackson right now. And I tend to think because I do believe in his talent that he is somebody who can get something turned around at least to the point where you're getting top 10 performances. But it doesn't seem to just they just not they just don't seem to be getting in flow. They can't seem to hit that big play. And if that big play doesn't come, well defenses can just squeeze them. And even though Lamar Jackson's a great athlete, there's only so many places you can run when all 10 guys are sitting there in the box. I mean, it's bad. What was also bad was J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Edwards got the touchdown, so he salvaged your day. And if you had told me that Dobbins was going to get 12 carries and Edwards was going to get 11 carries, then I would have said to you that I think they could both have RB3 days. After watching them run well against the Steelers, who also had a good run defense like the Colts do, but neither one of them could get anything going. I mean, nothing. 2.5 yards of carry for Dobbins, 2 yards of carry for Gus Edwards. And another week where Dobbins doesn't get involved in the passing. This is what's driving me crazy about Greg Roman right now. Make it easy. Why is J.K. Dobbins only getting two targets? If your entire offensive passing arsenal is going to consist of look at Marquise Brown deep or throw it short to Mark Andrews or whoever, then why are you not setting up easy screens, easy looks, with J.K. Dobbins, who's a dynamic player out of the backfield. Why are you not doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Again, and we might be on the cusp of Mark Ingram coming back. Mark Ingram comes back, forget it. Nobody in this backfield has value. Now we'll wait to see. Ingram could miss another week. He still has not practiced since sustaining the injury. So he's still very much in question heading into week 10. And again, if he misses, I will probably still consider Dobbins and Gus Edwards high in RB3s. But my goodness, make something easy. Help him get into rhythm. 
I don't understand what the malfunction of Greg Roman is calling these plays this year. And J.K. Dobbins is your. I I feel like I'm saying this every week, but you this is the player that you need to get your offense over the hump and get multi-dimensional and add a new element to it. And that means Dobbins getting involved in the passing game and using his explosive ability. That's the easy way to try to get this offense turned around. Like I said, you add Mark Ingram back in this mix, nobody's going to have value out of this backfield. And pretty soon, the only person who's going to have any value, period, from a fantasy standpoint, will be Lamar Jackson. Because Mark Andrews, again, five targets, three catches, 22 yards. From a talent standpoint, you can't drop Mark Andrews. You can't. But I'm not going to sit here and blame you when you tell me that you're not comfortable playing him. Because how could you be? How could you be? And I can't even guarantee you that there's better days ahead for Mark Andrews. I can tell you that there's going to be games ahead where he still scores touchdowns, because that's what he does best. But I can't sit here and say with certainty, don't worry about this, there's better days ahead like I can with a Tyler Lockett or some of these other players we talked about so far. Can't tell you that. It's completely frustrating right now with the Baltimore Ravens. They will get some easier matchups throughout this year. That will start to make them look a little bit better. Maybe that will help them get back in the rhythm, but... Right now, if they're playing against a tough team, you're going to have to expect low floors out of pretty much everybody in this offense. Like I said, that game in general was just an ugly game to watch. Another game that was really a blowout. The Bears somehow made this game. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Close. Tennessee, Chicago, Tennessee winning 24-17. to Bears scored all 17 of their points in the fourth quarter. Nick Foles, 335 yards and two touchdowns. Probably the most deceiving 302-touchdown performance I've ever seen in my life. Because, again, it pretty much all came in the fourth quarter. Tennessee controlled this game pretty much all the way through. That's why Demarion Tannehill only threw 21 passes this game. Two touchdowns. You weren't expecting big things out of Ryan Tannehill. We had him in the double digits. But again, he's one of those guys that you weren't going to drop to pick up anybody else. So you probably played him in this game. And it was an okay. It was okay. Not great, obviously. But there wasn't a lot of volume for him to, to be. Better, better days are definitely ahead for Ryan Tannehill. Better days are definitely ahead for Derrick Henry. He still got his 21 carries. Chicago's a very good run defense. They just weren't ever able to get him really going. 3.2 yards to carry. Akeem Hicks, when he's in there, like I said, Chicago, they're not a fun team to run on. So this is a game you chalk it up, you throw it away. Derrick Henry's been great more times than not. You can go back to the point of when this happens, look, you know, when you have a running back who doesn't get involved in the passing game, there seems to be a little bit less of a floor. But when has that really ever bothered you with Derrick Henry for the most part? I mean, when this guy gets 20 carries, it's usually 100 yards on the touchdown. It doesn't usually matter who he's playing. So you're not going to be worried about that. Just a disappointing performance in this one. A.J. Brown bounces back after last week having four catches, 24 yards, and a touchdown last week. gets four catches for 101 yards and a touchdown on nine targets in this one. 
reestablishing himself as the true wide receiver one on this football team while Corey Davis had three targets and completely gooshed you. Now, Corey Davis wasn't somebody we had ranked high in this week anyway. But after an eight-catch, 128-yard performance, you, you're, there's a good chance that people out there probably still played him thinking there's a nice floor because he's been seeing targets on a pretty consistent basis. And then wound up getting goosed by him this week. Now, a lot of this had to do with game script because, again, like I said, Tennessee was dominating this game. If you didn't see this game, they were dominating this game for pretty much all of it. And even in the fourth quarter, they were just playing prevent defense and they were just trying to run out the clock as fast as possible. So, I can say, even though I'm not a big Corey Davis fan myself, I can say better days are ahead because of how he's performed and the volume that he's gotten this year. Now, Janu Smith gets a touchdown. And in your box scores, and your fantasy scores, it's going to look like Janu Smith came back to life. And I talked about heading into this game that if Janu Smith was not able to course correct, that I was going to severely question whether or not I can consider him a top 10 tight end anymore. I guess you can say he got back into the end zone, but this is what I'm going to more focus on. I'm not going to consider Janu Smith an automatic top 10 tight end anymore unless it's a really good matchup. He still only had two targets in this game. Both of those targets came back-to-back. Two receptions, 32 yards, came back-to-back on the Titans' last touchdown of the day. Other than that, he had zero targets through the first three quarters of the game. Janu Smith's not a top 10 tight end. He's not going to be an automatic top 10 tight end in my book, I should say. He falls back into that wide range from you know 11 to 20 of guys that I consider to be all streaming tight ends, pretty much, at this point. Now, as far as the Bears go, David Montgomery, like I said, he got a little bit banged up in this game. We'll probably find out Maybe as you're listening to this on Monday, but throughout the day, exactly what the nature of his injury is going to be moving forward. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow. 14 carries, 30 yards. He left the game, like I said, early. Three catches, 12 yards. Honestly, at this point, you have to hope he comes back because David Montgomery is somebody who has established himself as a valuable RB2. We were just talking about him. Would I trade him for Clyde Edwards-Hilary, given if he's healthy? Yeah, probably. Because he's one of the few guys you can count on getting the volume every single week. So hopefully he's okay. We'll have to watch that. Obviously, he didn't have a great fantasy day today. But, again, that had more to do with the injury than anything else. Allen Robinson, 7 catches, 81 yards, 9 targets. He just continues to be a guy who has a high floor every single week because he's going to see the majority of the targets more times than not. But in this game, he was actually the second most targeted uh, wide receiver. And I do want to take note of that because it was Darnell Mooney who had 11 targets. Darnell Mooney is somebody who's been establishing himself more and more over the past couple of weeks where you can start to get to the point where you're arguing whether or not it's Mooney or Anthony Miller as the wide receiver two in this offense. Now, Anthony Miller is somebody that I think the coaching staff is ready to move on from, just kind of reading the tea leaves right now. Anthony Miller is somebody that you, you can't trust from a fantasy standpoint. He's never been in our top 36 at any point this year. But if Darnell Moody continues to play at the clip that he is, I could very easily see him overtaking Anthony Miller. And he's somebody that, in the Chicago offense, that desperately needs a big play threat, has become that big play threat. Now, in this game, five catches, 43 yards. But he's targeted down the field pretty consistently. 
So that's something we'll have to see moving forward. Just a kind of a, a, a guy to keep your eye on as we're going through these waiver pickups, as we're going through stashes, heading into our playoff races of guys who might be able to surprise and get us a nice little surge. Now, the Chicago offense is still not an offense that I necessarily want to trust, like they're going to be high scoring or have a lot of pieces of, but definitely a name out there who's been kind of popping up more and more with the volume he's been receiving as of late. Jimmy Graham. Unlike Janu Smith, I think I'm going to have to consider Jimmy Graham a top 10 tight end moving forward. First of all, he's been a top 10 tight end. That's number one. But six catches, 55 yards, comes away with a touchdown again in this game. He's been a guy who can consistently score. They consistently target him in the red zone. And he's left you with a higher floor on a week-to-week basis than a lot of other tight ends out there. Shockingly enough... Didn't think Jimmy Graham was going to be able to make a return to the top 10, but you know what? If Rob Gronkowski can make a return to our top five at tight ends, well then, I guess Jimmy Graham can make a resurgence too. He is going to be a top 10 in my book moving forward. Which is just just amazing to think about. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Broncos. Let's talk about the Falcons. Let's talk about how the Falcons almost gave this game away again. The Broncos scored 21 points in the fourth quarter, and frankly, they were a game-tying drive away from giving up 28 points in the fourth quarter. I'm going to go, I'm going to give the Falcons a little bit of advice here on this one. Stop trying to just run the football and try to run the clock out as fast as you possibly can when you actually have a good lead. How many times this year have we seen the Falcons offense play really, really well in the beginning of these games, or the first three quarters of these games, they put up points, they get this big lead, and the whole reason they're known for imploding the way that they are is because what they'll do from midway through the third quarter on, essentially, is that they'll just hand the ball off to Todd Gurley and Brian Hill over and over and over again up the middle and seemingly have no issue with going three and out, three and out, three and out to close out games in an effort, in their mind it seems like, to close out games faster by wasting time on the clock. And yet, what winds up happening, the other team comes storming back to more times than not actually wind up beating the Atlanta Falcons. In this case, made it entirely closer than what it should have been. Why not keep the offense aggressive that was already been playing well? Matt Ryan, 284, three touchdowns in this game, did have the one pick, but was playing really well through the three quarters. Why do you pull back on the throttle? It doesn't make any sense. At this point, knowing that your defense can't stop a nosebleed, will fall apart, especially because you refuse to not play a prevent defense when you're up by a couple scores anyway, why not just keep the offense aggressive? That's when you're at the best, when your offense is aggressive. I mean, what's the mental block here? Now, I know that's not from a fantasy standpoint, but just from an NFL standpoint, it just drives me nuts because you see Todd Gurley gets 19 carries in this game, 2.8 yards a carry. Completely inefficient, and we expected him to have an inefficient day against the Denver Broncos. As far as his fantasy value, he falls into the end zone, which is what you're hoping for if you're sticking with Todd Gurley in your lineups. So he paid dividends for you. He's going to come in as a low-end RB2. But an, a, a big reason why he only had 2.8 yards to carry is because the Falcons the entire second half were like, run Todd Gurley at the A-gap. Run Todd Gurley at the A-gap. Like, what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. I'm watching Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Hayden Hurst and Alameda Zacchaeus having great games across the board. 
And you want to get super conservative and then wonder why you can't close out games. And why, frankly, you almost blew this one. Speaking of Zacchaeus, four catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown, six targets in the absence of Calvin Ridley. And I want to note this. Now, Russell Gage and Zacchaeus had the same amount of targets, but Russell Gage, two catches, 11 yards. Russell Gage is not a fantasy thing. Whether Calvin Ridley's out, whether Julio Jones is out, or frankly, whether all three of them are on the field since the first week, Russell Gage is back to being what we all thought Russell Gage was in the first place. There's no reason to pick him up or think he has any kind of fantasy value whatsoever. If Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley are out, Zacchaeus is the guy who actually has a decent amount of value. Zacchaeus is that guy. Nobody else. So Zacchaeus is going to be on my radar when a Ridley misses, when a Julio Jones misses. Now, the Falcons have a bye week next week. We expect Calvin Ridley to be back in week 11. But just for future reference when it comes to this situation, because we've had that with Julio Jones now and then today with Calvin Ridley being out. We've seen this play out time and time again. He'll come in and be that perimeter receiver and be pretty effective. Hayden Hurst. He's establishing himself as a consistent tight end. Not scoring as much, but eight targets, seven catches, 62 yards. For whatever reason, as long as Julio's in, doesn't really seem to matter what's going on with Calvin Ridley. As long as Julio's in, Hayden Hurst seems to have solid games. Mostly because Matt Ryan seems to have solid games whenever Julio's in as well. Julio himself, a little disappointing to me. I mean, five catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. You're not going to complain about that. But seven targets, I thought, in a game with no Calvin Ridley were the number one way to move Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The ball against the Denver Broncos is to throw the ball in the perimeter. I thought for sure Julio Jones was looking at double-digit targets today. I thought for sure. So it was definitely a little disappointing to see that not come to fruition, but you're not worried about it, and he still had a solid day. Talk about the Denver Broncos. So we had Drew Locke as a top-12 quarterback this week, given that it was the match against the Atlanta Falcons. And I was a little bit worried until I reminded myself, hey, you know what? All the points come in the fourth quarter, and they sure enough did. 300 yards, two touchdowns, did have a pick, also ran a touchdown, and used his legs quite a bit in this game. Ran for 47 yards. So if you had the cojones to listen to me and actually stream Drew Locke this week against the Atlanta Falcons, he paid off for you in a big way. Jerry Judy was excellent. Seven catches, 125 yards, a touchdown on 14 targets. He's starting to come along now. You see it. He's starting to get a little bit more separation. He's starting to get a little more comfortability within Pat Schumer's offense. They're starting to use him more as the move the chains, go to wide receiver. 
Now, this is the first game Tim Patrick's been back. And before Tim, when Tim Patrick, before he went out with his hamstring issue, he had kind of been the number one wide receiver. And he did wind up scoring a touchdown in this game. Tim Patrick, that is. But Jerry Judy's in his absence, and now in this game, it's really looking like he's starting to kind of take over and settle in as their go-to guy, as the guy they need to, when they need to move the chains, when they need to play, they're going to go to him. Shows you in the 14 targets. Now, you can make the argument Tim Patrick maybe, you know, first game back, not necessarily all gung-ho, but he was out there. He had nine targets in this game. Outside the touchdown was, wasn't much of anything. Four catches, 29 yards. Tim Patrick's still somebody I like a lot. He's still somebody I think I would value as a wide receiver three moving forward within this offense, just given his role and his capabilities in the red zone. I'll mention K.J. Hamler, six catches, 75 yards. He had 10 targets in this game. K.J. Hamler being a target monster is not something that's going to consistently happen from a week-to-week basis. That's not, that's not the type of receiver that he, that he even is. This is a lot to do with game script in this one. So that's not something I'm going to come to suspect. Noah Fant was disappointing in this one. He got banged up. You know, had to come out. Did come back into the game. Albert O also got knocked out of this game with an injury. Three catches, 45 yards. Fant's health has become an issue when the come when you're trying to consider to play him on a week to week basis. He really has. It's become a real issue because now you kind of hit that point where he's one of these guys that when you play him, you really don't have that much confidence that he's definitely going to play four quarters. You just don't. You just don't. So that's one of those things you have to kind of look at. Moving forward with Noah Fant, he's still not somebody I'm going to be dropping from. I'm not going to be moving on from. But something to kind of take note of where he's kind of falling back and back further and further away from being a guy that I felt like had at least the potential to be maybe finding himself in the top six of tight ends, especially given the landscape this year. I still believe he's a mismatch. I still believe in his talent. But it's between his health issues that he's been having so far this season, and he's not always consistently involved. And as a Jerry Judy establishes himself, as a K.J. Hamler establishes himself, it's going to take away the opportunities for a Noah Fant in this offense. Now, we do have to get into the running game here. Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, neither one of them were good plays in this, this week, which is really shocking when you're against Atlanta Falcons. You figure at least one of these guys is going to have a good game. Neither one of them did. Now, again... Part of it was due to game scripts because the Broncos were down so much so early. Lindsay had eight carries, 23 yards. Gordon had six carries, 18 yards. One catch on one target for nine yards for Melvin Gordon. Lindsay actually out-targeted him with three. That was probably more surprising than anything else. This is a game you wrap up to the ball, you throw it out. More times than not, Melvin Gordon's going to be a guy that you can play as a low-end RB2, and Philip Lindsay is more of a guy that you can play as an RB3. More times than not. But what is concerning is that I don't think either one of them really have a ceiling, at least not a ceiling you're going to be with any kind of expectations going into in any given week now that they are seemingly on a 50-50 split in an offense that most of the time doesn't score a lot of points. So really not hitting their stride at this point, unless there's an injury of some sort. I don't know if either one of these guys really establishes themselves as a high-end RB2 again, like Melvin Gordon really had been while Philip Lindsay was out. And now I think lower floors have to become part of your 
expectations when deciding which one you're going to play. Now, Matthew Stafford, Detroit Lions, Minnesota Vikings. This wasn't great. We, look, with Stafford, look, he didn't get to practice all week. All he could really do is be part of the virtual game plan. I mean, you it was the Minnesota Vikings, but as long as Matthew Stafford was out there, it was more about what he did for the fantasy value of the other Detroit Lion players in this game than it was anything else. And if you played Marvin Jones, we had Marvin Jones as a high-end wide receiver three. He did come through. Three catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown. What was surprising is that he was not targeted the way I thought he was going to be. And we expected 8 to 10 targets. And while his execution and his production had not been great, even without Kenny Galli this year, he had still been seeing 8 to 10 targets. All the targets went to Danny Amendola. We had 10 targets in this game, 7 catches, 77 yards. You can't trust Danny Amendola. We've been down this road before. There's spurts, there's games, there's situations where all of a sudden Amendola gets you know, targeted at this kind of a rate. And then if you're sitting in a PPR league, you're thinking to yourself, well, you could maybe have a wide receiver three performance for me. But we know what Danny Amendola is. The second you trust him, he's going to get a concussion. The second you trust him, he's not going to be involved in the offense. Don't mis- don't kid yourself into thinking Danny Amendola should be a thing for you. Don't do it. TJ Hawkinson, he's establishing himself as a top six tight end. Five catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. This one continues to be a touchdown monster. And eight targets. So as long as Kenny Galladay's out, I think there is going to be a really nice floor when it comes to Hawkinson's opportunities over the next few weeks. And Detroit has to stop trying to play this ball control nonsense. You're not good enough on defense to, to do it. You have, They have to start getting more aggressive on offense. Now, like I said, this week, I know it's a little bit hard to do with the whole COVID situation surrounding Matthew Stafford, but enough of this, we want to try to play ball control. You either start letting this be Matthew Stafford's offense or just expect to continue to lose a lot of games. Plain and simple. As far as the running back situation, DeAndre Swift, again, establishing that he is the lead guy while Adrian Peterson still gets mixed in. I mean, DeAndre Swift had 13 carries, 64 yards, was very efficient on the day. Adrian Peterson, not as much. Eight carries, 29 yards, but still getting eight carries limits the ceiling of a DeAndre Swift and what he could possibly be. Swift also tacked on three catches for 33 yards on five targets in this game. I'll tell you what, the last couple of weeks, Adrian Peterson has all of a sudden been involved in the passing game. He had five targets this week. He had quite a few targets the week before. It's kind of weird. Not something you're used to seeing. Look, as Detroit continues to lose, which I believe will happen more times than not down the stretch here, I think we'll see a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of DeAndre Swift. Just It would just make sense to. You got the rookie running back. You'll be in a situation you'll start to establish what it is that you have for next season. Start to look ahead. Swift figures to be one of those key pieces you have going into next year. I think it'll be sooner rather than later that Swift will just start to kind of take over a little bit more each week. And if he does that with his dynamic playmaking ability, he should be a guy who establishes himself as an RB2, I think, at some point this season. And maybe hitting his stride exactly when you need him to for your fantasy playoffs. I think there's a real chance that happens. Minnesota Vikings side of things. 
So Kirk Cousins somehow, now I don't know who would have been streaming him, only if you were super desperate, depending on what your league was. Kirk Cousins somehow, though, provides you with three passing touchdowns on 20 passing attempts. And I had a feeling that 20 to 25 passing attempts was going to be about the number for Kirk Cousins because you knew Dalvin Cook was going to have a good game. Now, did I think he was going to go for 200 yards after last week's performance? Not necessarily. But he is running like a man possessed right now. Ever since he came back off that injury, he's just been lights out. He's been over-the-top explosive. As soon as you get your eyes set on him, boom, he's gone. He's through the hole. He's past you. 22 carries for 206 yards, two touchdowns, had a 70-yard touchdown in this game. I mean, it's 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 absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. But as a result of that, it's killing the fantasy value of a Justin Jefferson. It's killing the fantasy value of an Adam Thielen. Because as long as Kirk Cousins continues to be in situations where he's only going to throw the ball 20, 25 times, well, Jefferson gets four targets. Adam Thielen only gets five targets. This is starting to look a lot like last year where you couldn't trust an Adam Thielen or a Stephon Diggs in a given week. Because you weren't sure, not only what receiver's week it was going to be, but you weren't sure if the passing attack was going to even be involved. Now, here's the thing about this season. This Minnesota defense is so bad that at some point, the passing attack's going to have to get involved again against you know teams that aren't as easy on the ground or have at least a competent defense with the Detroit Lions do not. And that will that'll begin to play into a factor. But it may be game script dependent now when you're looking at an Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Maybe not necessarily matchup dependent. It may be game script dependent. And that's something you're going to have to take into consideration, I think, moving forward. It has to be a situation where you know Kirk Cousins is going to be forced into throwing the ball north of 30 times in that game. To feel like you have a decent floor out of a Jefferson or even an Adam Thielen to the, at this point. So instead of looking at the matchup, we're going to have to start examining game scripts when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings and what we expect heading into their, their weekly games. Texans and the Jaguars. We have to st- Obviously, we have to start on the Jacksonville Jaguars side of the ball. I mean, Jake Luton, the six-round rookie, playing well. Now, could part of this have been that it's the Houston defense? Yeah, 100% absolutely, because they're, they're just that bad. But, I mean, we've seen some other six-round rookie quarterbacks like a Ben DiNucci, look absolutely horrendous. Now, again, DiNucci was playing against the Steelers. Now, I kind of wonder what would happen if he was playing against the Houston Texans. But Jake Luton made a case as for, for Doug Marone in this game, even though they wound up losing this game. He made a case in this game for Doug Marone if he really doesn't want to bring Gardner Minshew back into the fold to maybe not. I mean, he didn't play bad. 26-38, 300 yards, touchdown. He had the one pick. Actually ran a touchdown in on top of it. But he made a case for Doug Marone to maybe stick with him. And if you're a DJ Chark owner, that could wind up being music to your ears. Because if what happened today continues to happen, then you're going to be sitting there like, I'm finally getting what I want out of DJ Chark. Now, part of this we have to take in consideration. LaVisca Chenault went down early in this game with a hamstring issue was ruled out pretty quickly. So with it being a hamstring, being that he was ruled out as quickly as he was, there's an argument to be had here that not only is next week on the table, but maybe a couple of weeks might be on the table for him missing. And we'll probably find out his MRI at some point throughout the day on Monday. And we'll post that out to you on at BellyUpMDFF Show on Twitter. 
But DJ Chark, 12 targets, 7 catches, 146 yards. His touchdown coming on a 73-yarder at the very beginning of the game. But this is what you want to chart, the 12-target part. It's been so hard to get consistent targets for DJ Chark, which doesn't make any sense because he is a budding star wide receiver in this league. And he had the rapport with Gardner Minshew last year, which is why I think we've all been kind of confused as to why it's been so hard to get him targets outside of just trying to make the argument of, well, Keelan Cole has been more involved and LaVisca Chenault has been very involved. I mean, LaVisca Chenault, uh, excuse me, Keenan Allen only had two targets in this game. It was actually Chris Conley who was the second receiver at eight targets, seven catches, 52 yards. But everyone else's fantasy irrelevant to me when it comes to the wide receivers. DJ Chark was... It wasn't just that he had the big day. He was the first read every single passing play for Jake Luton. As long as that continues to be the case, his volume share at the very least will be up there. Now, not every week's going to be the Houston Texans. So he's not going to be suddenly able to turn in high-end wide receiver two, wide receiver one stat line performances every single week. But the volume, which is what's been lacking to establish his floor this season... As long as Jake Luton is the quarterback, I think it will continue to happen because he was the number one read every play. That's why I got looked at so much throughout this game. So I expect that to continue to happen. And DJ Chark might finally find his value for you at the right time of the year after being very disappointing so far at this point. James Robinson did this point. James Robinson continued to do what he does best. 25 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Didn't do anything for you in the receiving game, but you knew going into this game, one, it was a great match against Houston, but two, with a rookie quarterback, they would probably lean on him a little bit more. 25 carries, you'll take it. James Robinson continues to be an RB1. Plain and simple. Continues to be an RB1. On the Houston side of the ball, they were in control of this game. They almost gave it away at the end. Sean Watson, 281 yards, two touchdowns, tacked on 50 yards on the ground. Had a very solid game. Very solid game. He continues to be a top 10 quarterback, a lower end on the top 10, but a top 10 quarterback nonetheless. David Johnson, unfortunately, I I, I have him in the league. I know a lot of people out there do. A lot of people were hoping for a good game out of him against Jacksonville. Went down with a concussion early in this game. Got rolled out pretty quickly. I believe it was in the first quarter. Yeah. Tough break. David Johnson's one of those guys right now that when you're looking at these RB2s and you're looking for somebody who has at least consistent value, he's been that. He's had that. So I think that's that's kind of the good news there is that he, you know, we know that when he comes back, this will still be his backfield. While Duke Johnson scored in this game, he wasn't very good. He only had two yards to carry. Wasn't very efficient. They weren't able to lean on him in that way. Four catches, 32 yards in the passing game. The fantasy stat sheet will show you a decent day, but it was very inefficient. So I think it's safe to say that as long as David Johnson can come back from his concussion injury next week, that he will be able to continue getting his 15 to 20 opportunities every single week. And right now, if you're getting that out of a running back, you have an RB2 in your hands, plain and simple. So I'm not too worried about this. It's just disappointing to see him go down in this game. As far as the wide receivers go, Brandon Cooks, nine targets. He led the way in targets in this game. Three catches, 83 yards, a touchdown. 
He had the big 57-yard touchdown. Wolf Fuller, though, still had a great game. Five catches, 100 yards, a touchdown, had a 77-yarder in this one. But only five targets. I mean, very efficient. But Brandon Cooks has been getting highly involved over the past few weeks, and I don't think that's something that's going to go away. And I think this offense has melded down into Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, David Johnson, Deshaun Watson. I mean, a tight end position is very hit or miss. It usually takes either a Jordan Atkins being out or one of the, at least one of the tight ends being out for one of them to have some streamer value. Randall Cobb's been consistently the odd man out now. I think over the past month or so, he's been the odd man out when it comes to Fuller and Brandon Cooks now that Brandon Cooks has kind of established himself more so in this offense. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think you can fire him up as a high-end wide receiver three. He might even be establishing himself as a low-end wide receiver two soon. The, the, the big playability out of a Will Fuller is the key here where you know he'll just continue to be a wide receiver two with high upside almost every single week. So let's move into an NFC East matchup, which none of us really wanted to watch unless you were actually a fan of the Giants and the Washington Football Club. Daniel Jones was his Daniel Jones like self. 23 of 34, 212 yards, a touchdown. Cut down the turnovers in this game, though, and as a result of that, the Giants were actually able to win. How about that? Austin Mack, four catches, 72 yards. Yeah, Austin Mack, exactly who? Yeah, exactly who. <laughs> Darius Slayton was nothing in this game. One catch, six yards, a target. He was matched up on Fuller, but he had a decent game against Fuller the last time they played, and that was on a bum foot. But it was just very weird. Austin Mack came in. He plays for Golden Tate. You expect Darius Slayton to be one of the top three pass catchers targeted. Unfortunately for Slayton, one, the Giants' schedule has been very, very rough for wide receivers. Two, Daniel Jones has been horrible. And three, Jason Garrett's been horrible. A lot of things working against Darius Slayton on any given week. I still believe he's the most talented wide receiver of that group. I still believe that you can stash him for potentially better days ahead. But frankly, I don't see how you're trusting to play a Darius Slayton right now. And really, other than a PPR league... I don't really see how you trust to play a Sterling Shepard either. I mean, he had eight targets in this game, six catches, 39 yards. He's had a consistent workflow for him every single week since he's returned back from his injury. That's why I said from a PPR standpoint, he might be an okay play on a week-to-week basis as a wide receiver three. But if you're not in full-point PPR leagues, they're just there's too low of a floor when it comes to these giant pass catchers. Even in a game that went their way. There's too low of a floor. It's too widely inconsistent with Daniel Jones at the quarterback position. And for Darius Slayton, I think you can make the argument that until Sterling Shepard gets hurt again, I think he has to have a very low floor as well because you can't necessarily trust his target share to always be there. Evan Ingram finally came through with what's probably going to be a top 10 tight end finish. Five catches, 48 yards, touchdown, 10 targets, Second week in a row where he's had double-digit targets now, too. I mean, he's been involved in the offense from a volume standpoint. I think it's what's been so frustrating about an Evan Ingram. So while he's been so highly involved, the stat line just hasn't been there. He's still somebody who's going to be more in the streaming-ish territory because, again, it still wasn't an overly impressive game. He just happened to finally score in this one. 
Otherwise, he would have been left with five catches for 48 yards, which frankly has been a pretty consistent stat line for him this year. A ho-hum performance. But he's right there in the conversation with a lot of tight ends. As far as the running the backfield goes, Alpha Moore has continued to be a thing. Now, the Giants were able to run the ball more efficiently in this game than we've seen them be able to run all year. I mean, Wayne Gallman had 14 carries, 68 yards. So that came out to about 5 yards a carry. He does get the rushing touchdown in this one, too. But even Alpha Morris was very good in this game. 9 carries, 67 yards. Not something we're going to come to expect out of the New York Giants, I think safe to say. But here's what I will say. While Devonta Freeman continues to miss time, and even though Gallman did score the past two weeks, I think you have to sit there and seriously question what kind of floor he has if he doesn't have those touchdowns, if Alfred Morris is going to continue to be this involved with the carries. I don't think you want to trust Wayne Gallman only getting 55% of the carries, which is kind of what's happened to him the past couple of weeks. Now, it's, like I said, it's worked out because he's fallen into the end zone, but that's playing with fire moving forward. So again, we'll have to see exactly what's going on with Devonta Freeman. We'll see if he's able to make a return next week or not, but, you know, to be determined. On the Washington side, Kyle Allen dislocated his ankle. It seems as though Alex Smith, or Ron Rivera came out and said it, Alex Smith is going to be the starting quarterback next week. Dwayne Haskins will finally you know, not be a healthy scratch, but instead of going back to Dwayne Haskins, even though Ron Rivera insists that his career in Washington is not over, which is a bunch of crap at this point, Alex Smith is going to be the starting quarterback next week. He went over 300 yards in this game. He had three picks, but he went over 300 yards in this game. Look, the simple point when it comes to whoever the quarterback is for the Washington Football Club is this. As long as you get the ball to Terry McLaurin, we do not care from a fantasy football standpoint. Because that's the only thing that really matters when it comes to this passing attack anyway. Now, will J.D. McKissick probably get a little bit of a bump up when you're talking about full-point PPR leagues? Yeah, he will. He will. He'll get a little bit of a bump up. Because we know Alex Smith, how much he just loves to check that ball down. Which is why sometimes I worry about Terry McLaurin when it comes to Alex Smith, but... He did have a great game in this one. Seven catches, 115 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. But just to kind of illustrate my point, J.D. McKissick had 14 targets in this game. 14 targets in this game. In a game that was never really that out of hand. I mean, yes, Washington had to come back from behind in the second half. But this is the second time now where we've seen Alex Smith come in and just target J.D. McKissick over and over and over again. Nine catches, 65 yards, what he was able to turn it into. The problem with this is, where's Antonio Gibson? Antonio Gibson is supposed to be your lead running back, but more importantly than that, one of his best skill sets, if not the best skill set to his game, is supposed to be his ability to catch the ball. That's what it's supposed to be. Not as a runner, as a pass catcher. So why is it? That when you go to pass the ball, it's J.D. McKissick all the time. I don't get it, but from a full-point PPR standpoint, knowing that Alex Smith is going to start the game, I think he's somebody who becomes a flex-worthy pickup and play. 14 targets. He's been targeted a lot when Alex Smith plays. Terry McLaurin will be the number one wide receiver no matter what. So you can continue to play him as a wide receiver too. 
I do question how many big plays he's going to get the chance to have with Alex Smith back there when they're not playing teams like the New York Giants. But I'm not worried about McLaurin, no matter who the quarterback is, frankly. So let's move on to the Raiders and the Chargers here. 31-26, the Chargers were, were one were inches away from actually pulling one out, but somehow find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in this game. Still found a way. Should have been a touchdown at the end of that game. This is a real shame. Justin Herbert, again, played great. Continues to be, you know, you could probably value him as a top six quarterback the rest of the way. 326 yards, two touchdowns, tacked on 24 yards on the ground. Keenan Allen continued to get double-digit targets. Nine catches, 103 yards. Picks up a touchdown in this one, which is something that's always a little bit more hit or miss when it comes to Keenan Allen, but picks up a touchdown in this game. This is the second game in a row now. now so now I'm willing to trust it. This is the second game in a row where Mike Williams was actually targeted a significant amount while playing next to a healthy Keenan Allen for four quarters. Like I said last week, I wasn't ready to dive into the Mike Williams pull off of just one game where we finally saw Herbert target both of these guys at a significant amount. Now we have two games in a row where that's become a thing. Now I'm more willing to believe that they've kind of turned a corner a little bit where Herbert's going to try to get the ball to Mike Williams a little bit more consistently. Still, again, this is a plus matchup. They're going up against the Raiders. But five catches, 81 yards, seven targets with his given abilities. Almost had a touchdown in this one, too. Would have had even a better stat line. I can re-enter Mike Williams into the wide receiver three conversation. Especially as the Chargers seemingly have to put up a lot of points because that defense is not as stout as it was supposed to be this season. A lot of it due to injury, but it's just not. So that's the good news there. On the flip side of that, let's talk about this running backfield. So Justin Jackson did get hurt in this game. He had a knee injury. He tried to come back in. I think he played like one snap and went right back out. He didn't even record a touch in this game. So I got burned by Justin Jackson. You guys got burned by Justin Jackson. He winds up goose egging you. It's, you know, it's injury. It's one of those things that happens. You kind of chalk it up and move on. We'll see when, if he's able to come back. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks. So we'll keep an eye on that. In the meantime, this is how far Joshua Kelly has fallen. Kalen Balaj. I'm going to say that again. Kalen Balaj was the running back when Justin Jackson went down. Not, not Joshua Kelly. Kalen Balaj. 15 carries, 69 yards, touchdown, was efficient on the day. 4.6 yards a carry. What? What? Kalen Balaj. Two catches, 15 yards on three targets. Joshua Kelly actually had five targets again in this game. Five catches, 31 yards. But if that's how far down he fell down the depth chart, let me put it to you this way. Last week, it was Justin Jackson, then it was Tremaine Pope. Tremaine Pope doesn't play this game because of a concussion issue. They just picked up Kalen Balaj. They just brought. They just activated him off the practice squad because Tremaine Pope didn't play. Justin Jackson goes down in the first quarter. 
Joshua Kelly still gets usurped, still plays second fiddle to Kalen Balage. Now, we already sent Joshua Kelly down to Flushtown last week, so I don't have to do it again this week. But if you were still holding out hope, that pretty much solidifies it for you. And as far as, you know, if Justin Jackson is going to miss time, what are we going to look at from a running back standpoint? Because we're all looking for running backs to have value right now. If I have to have Kalen Balazs on my waiver wire report, I think I might kill myself. I, I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't imagine doing it. I can't imagine trusting him. I may just make a point to just avoid the Chargers' backfield altogether. If Justin Jackson can't go next week, but it's something that's going to have to be in the back of your minds because if Kalen Balazs is going to be the lead guy, if he's going to get 15 carries, he's going to be more efficient than he ever was with the New York Jets. He's somebody people are going to consider. Will he be on my waiver report? Probably. But I'm telling you right now, if you're going to go after him, it better be completely for free. And completely because you're desperate for a play heading into Week 10. Not It's still Kalen Blodge. I'm still not going to trust it. But we know we can't play Joshua Kelly. That much we know for sure. Talk about the Raiders side of things. Derek Carr was eh, 165 yards, two touchdowns, whatever. The important part here, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Booker. Now, Jacobs was not coming into this game 100%. He has, he's been dealing with a knee issue. He's been banged up all year. It's why he hasn't had the explosiveness that we're used to seeing from him. Also was a little bit sick. Only had 14 carries in this game. Did wind up with a touchdown, so that was the good news. 65 yards going on the ground. But Devontae Booker, Devontae Booker looks like he's the handcuff. Not Jalen Rashard. Devontae Booker, 8 carries, 68 yards. He actually had a touchdown in this game, too. So between Rashard not being involved in the passing game, because they don't really seem to feature the run the running backs in the passing game, not these not nearly as much as they did a season ago anyway. I mean, Devontae Booker looks like the guy to own if something were to happen to Josh Jacobs, you know, where he couldn't play. But Jacobs still high in RB two, is still low in RB one in my book. He's coming off a game where he had twenty seven carries. I'm not worried about it. It you know, Will he ever get to a point where he's back to being his old explosive self? Probably not, because it seems like he's just not going to get a chance to really be able to heal the way he needs to for that to happen. But you're still playing Josh Jacobs as a high value every single week. He's getting more volume than not most of the time. Darren Waller, he finds the end zone, thankfully, because while he had five catches in this game, only for 22 yards, I mean, they keep just... They're consistently only giving him throws like five yards down the field. I don't understand why, because one of Darren Waller's best traits is his ability to stretch the seam, but that's just not, not, not happening right now. But he did have 10 targets. He did have a touchdown. He's the only pass catcher that you can trust. Henry Ruggs was goose, was not, zero, nothing. Three targets and nothing to show for it. The ultimate boomer bust guy that he is. I know you're going to see Nelson Aguilar had a big touchdown. I know you're going to see Hunter Renfro at 60 yards, three targets apiece, two catches apiece. Nothing you care about there. Darren Waller is the only pass catcher. And frankly, Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller are the only two players from a fantasy standpoint that I'm even thinking about when it comes to the Raiders. So let's move into our surprise of the week. Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys. These guys, man. Woo! These guys, whoo. Steelers found a way to make this interesting. (laughs) 
didn't cover the spread, I can tell you that much. 306 yards, three touchdowns for Roethlisberger. So the idea that he was going to be a top-10 quarterback did come to fruition. We were scared a little bit because he got banged up on a hard hit early uh, in the first half, had to go in the locker room before the first half actually ended, but was able to come out and finish this game. So that leaves you with a good feeling that Roethlisberger will at least be around for next week, if not if not for his own fantasy value, but to make sure that you still have the value that you can expect out of the pass catchers. Juju Smith-Schuster was very good in this game. Six catches, 93 yards, a touchdown. That's actually probably one of his better stat lines on the year. Seven targets. Deontay Johnson, double-digit targets. Something that I come to suspect with Deontay Johnson on a given week, as long as he's healthy. Six catches, 77 yards. Chase Claypool was actually the high-target guy. 13 targets, eight catches, 69 yards. Didn't score. All three of those wide receivers are probably must-plays for me every single week right now, as long as Ben Roethlisberger is healthy. Because we know what Mason Rudolph is when he comes into the game. But as long as Ben Roethlisberger is healthy, I think you have to play all three of these wide receivers every single week. The big, huge disappointment was James Conner. I mean, you have him against Dallas. You're going to tell me that James Conner goes for 22 yards in this game? I... Negative two yards in the passing game, too, by the way. Look, is this a situation where obviously better days are ahead? Yeah, 100%. 100%. But it's really disappointing to see James Conner, who's been a pretty good RB2, who's been getting a lot of volume, come in against Dallas, who's been absolutely horrendous. And first of all, only get 11 touches. But second of all, 22 yards? Like I said, better days are ahead, but that was crippling disappointing, especially when you're expecting top 10 performance out of James Conner heading into the week, which I think we all were. It was it just it was mind-boggling. While, yes, the Steelers were down in this game. It was ugly, but the most they were ever down by was 13 to nothing. This game at no point was ever out of hand to the point where the Steelers had to throw the ball a ton until they got to the fourth quarter where they had to make their comeback in the fourth quarter, but... They completely abandoned the running game way too early. And as a result of that, it really led to their offense being kind of inefficient until things were able to click for them in the in the fourth quarter. That's what kind of was frustrating about the whole thing. Better days are ahead for Connor. The most important thing to take out of this is that he continues to be the guy in the backfield. On the Dallas side of the ball, Garrett Gilbert came in. While he didn't play awesome or anything like that, they had a more competent showing really at any point this season since they lost Dak Prescott the injury. And I'll, I'll put it, look, we expect Andy Dalton to be the starting quarterback when they come back off of their bye and come back and play week 11 because they're on bye next week. But at least now we know that if Cooper, if, if Dalton can't play again, we know that at least with Gilbert, this offense can look at least somewhat competent, somewhat like itself. CeeDee Lamb, four catches, 71 yards and seven targets, Mari Cooper, five catches, 67 yards on six targets. At least they had a pulse this week, which I know doesn't leave you, you know, all warm and fuzzy inside when it comes to fantasy football purposes. But frankly, when you've been leaning on Amari Cooper to be a high-end wide receiver too, and leaning on CD Lamb to be a high-end wide receiver too throughout the season, it was good to see that now they have somebody in there who can at least give these guys a pulse when you know Dalton is out too. Michael Gallup even had seven targets in this game. 
Mark Cooper, I think, is somebody who will continue to be a low and wide receiver too, as long as Andy Dalton's out there. Same same thing goes for C.D. Lamb, and now with Garrett Gilbert, like I said, you can at least have them maintain somewhat of a floor with their performances. Outside of that, I'm not touching a Dalton Schultz. I'm not touching a Michael Gallup. This offense is really getting consolidated on who's touching the ball. And that takes us to the backfield. Now, we knew Ezekiel Elliott wasn't 100%, but he still wound up with 20 touches. And again, another disappointing fantasy day. Now, I don't know how high your expectations would have possibly been with him coming into this game banged up and playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers on top of it. But still, two catches, 18 yards... 18 carries, 51 yards. These are just not the numbers you're used to seeing out of Ezekiel Elliott, so it always leaves you feeling disappointed. Tony Pollard actually looked pretty good in this game when he would come in nine carries, 57 yards. He was very efficient. Didn't get much involved in the passing game. I honestly think they would have did Ezekiel Elliott a much bigger favor had they just made him sit this game. Don't get your brains beat in by the Steelers with a, with a bad hammy. And going into the bye, we can come out week 11 healthy with Andy Dalton back and possibly some offensive linemen back too. I just think they would have did him a much better favor by doing that instead of having him take a beating in this game. But they didn't. When Elliott comes back in week 11, you'll continue to play Elliott in your lineups. As long as he's healthy and good to go and he didn't suffer a setback in this game. He did it as far as we heard to this point. All right, our last game to talk about in this show, the Dolphins and the Cardinals. This one wound up being a really great game. The Dolphins coming back to win. Tua Tagovailoa looking way better than he did against the Rams, playing very well in this game, orchestrating a nice little comeback in this one. Cliff Kingsbury once again finding ways to not play for the win. This is the second time this year he's not. Now, he got away with it in the Seattle game. They wound up winning that game, but he played pretty much not to win in that game too, and it almost bit him in the butt. It did in this one, though. Going for the field goal like they did didn't make any sense to me. I don't care what the analytics say. Read the game script. Your defense hasn't been able to stop the other team for nothing. Read the game script. Not a lot of passing in this one. I mean, Tua Zagavola only had 28 pass attempts. Kyler Murray only had 26 pass attempts. I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting. The other interesting note before I get into Kyler Murray and his big fantasy day, because he did have a big one, was Chase Edmonds. It was very disappointing. He had 25 carries in this game for only 70 yards, 2.8 yards a carry, 3 catches, 18 yards, 28 touches, 98 yards total. Just not very efficient, doesn't find the end zone. With Kenyon Drake pushing to come back probably earlier than he should, I thought Chase Edmonds had an opportunity here, especially against the Dolphins, which should have been a plus matchup for him, had an opportunity here to establish himself as the guy moving forward and could have been the pickup of the year, especially for the playoff race. Now I'm not so, I still find it hard to believe that Kenny and Drake is going to be back next week, coming off of a high ankle sprain. I still find that really hard to believe. But it is in the cards, it seems like at least anyway. And because Chase Edmonds didn't do anything in this game to establish himself necessarily, other than they definitely felt comfortable giving him that amount of volume, it does open up the door that Kenyon Drake can get back into his old role. So if you are a Kenyon Drake owner and you don't have Chase Edmonds, that could be the silver lining. That Because Chase Edmonds didn't have a great day, it opens up the door that when Kenyon Drake comes back, he could come back into the starting role again. And it hasn't been completely just usurped by it. We'll see what happens. Now, as far as Kyler Murray goes, not only does he give you 283 yards and three touchdowns, but... 
goes over 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown, too. The guy has been unbelievable. He's been the QB1 in fantasy to this point. He continues to be the QB1, and as long as he continues to run like this, it's it's Lamar Jackson-esque. It's, I wasn't on that bandwagon. There's still a lot of inefficiencies about Kyler Murray's passing, especially at times that I question highly. But when you're talking about it from a fantasy standpoint, he's been every bit the next Lamar Jackson that a lot of people out there did think he was going to be, and I, so I have to recognize that. I, mean, I always knew the rushing was going to be there. That was never I just kind of questioned, you know, how efficient was his passing going to be? Because even at times this year, there's been times where you look at it and go like, oh, that was, it was not great passing ball. But he's been running so effectively, and then being able to have DeAndre Hopkins, who wasn't actually a thing in this game, but most weeks to be able to lean on, has really helped. You know who was a thing in this game, though? Christian Kirk. Five catches, eight targets, 123 yards, a touchdown. This man is just on fire for the past month. On absolute fire. Christian Kirk not only has to be owned everywhere, but at this point, I don't see how you don't have him at least as a flex play in your lineups. The guy has... I believe it's six touchdowns now in the last four games. Just really establishing himself with Kyler Murray. They had the report going back from college. I mean, they're just lighting it up right now. And DeAndre Hopkins, three catches, 30 yards on three targets. Completely disappointing, I get it. We all know there's better days ahead. You kind of just chalk this one up to a loss when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins. But Christian Kirk's going to be a thing for the rest of the season. Without a doubt. On the Dolphins side of the ball, we talked about Tagalavoa a little bit. He also ran around for 35 yards. Salvin Ahmed. So everybody's trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be the running back and everything like that. And Jordan Howard technically got more carries, 10 carries for 19 yards. Falls into the end zone. So if you had the cojones to play him, he salvaged your day. But Salvin Ahmed looked pretty decent in this game. Seven carries, 38 yards. A guy that I had my eye on, I actually talked about way back in the offseason. If you've been part of this show for a while, you, you he was one of the guys that we talked about on the you know, the Dynasty shows, the Rookie Report shows, right? my scouting report shows that I usually have every single year. He was one of those guys that I looked at. He actually started off the year on the 49ers practice squad. Comes over here to the Dolphins. But, look, Miles Gaskin's on the IR. We don't know what the deal is with Matt Breida's hamstring, how long it's going to keep him out for. We have to figure this is what's going to continue, where Jordan Howard, Salvin Ahmed will continue to split. Jordan Howard will get goal line carries. And there's just a very low floor that comes with the running game of the Miami Dolphins altogether. Altogether. So I think that's going to add volume to the passing game for Tua. And now, on top of it, you have Preston Williams. He went down with a foot issue. We're still he had, and he was having a nice game before that happened too. Four catches, sixty yards, and a touchdown early on. Finally, looking like his old self, frankly. And then he goes down with a foot issue, has to get carted off to the locker room. So we, and being that he got ruled out so quickly, we have to assume that there's a very real chance that he's not going to be able to play next week. We'll find out what happens there. But if he can't go, and there's not a running game the Dolphins can count on. Well, there should be more volume for Devontae Parker, who frankly has been disappointing over the past few weeks. Six catches, 64 yards, not really that great here. Seven targets led the way there. I guess this, but the silver line that you're taking out of this, and, and maybe even Mike Isicki to a, like a lesser degree as well, is that if there's not going to be a Preston Williams, there's not going to be a rushing game. Kind of suits up a little bit similar to what they were last year, no? 
Now, of course, that was Ryan Fitzpatrick, but at least over the next couple of weeks until Miles Gaskin gets back, I think you can count on Devontae Parker having a heck of a floor and possibly double-digit targets heading his way over at least, I would say, the next two weeks because I expect Preston Williams not to play next week after having getting carted off into the locker room with a foot issue. Again, something we'll probably hear about throughout the day on Monday. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date. And the same thing could be said for Mike Gesicki because then there will have to be a second pass catcher who establishes themselves. And while Jakeem Grant was the thing in this game, I think it's more likely that Gesicki would wind up being that guy. So maybe he's somebody who works himself back into streaming territory to tight end position because he had completely fallen out of that for us uh, at, at that point. So we'll see what happens there. But that's going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back again tomorrow with the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and of course the waiver wire report. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you guys again tomorrow. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 